Hi, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And I'm Hayley. And we're here to bring you Scene From Above snapshots. These are quickfire episodes with a new series co-host. So let's crack on and discuss today's topic. Well, this is part of my job, so let's go with learning resources for EO. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> I've always liked to teach and share things with people, so this is this is a really nice topic. And I guess, you know, it's something we've also spoken about before when we had a chat about GitHub and things like that. Yes, and I think that's yeah. got a role to play in this. So, I mean, I would start by saying there's lots now of learning resources for EO. I mean, compared to when I sort of started my PhD and was really starting to work with satellite data just the volume of tools tutorials online material you know that you can get your hands on now as a new person is almost almost too much in the sense that it's difficult to find and navigate exactly what you need sometimes but there's a lot out there and that's that's fantastic so yeah we're struggling for definitive lists now mm. and i agree with you there is there is a lot one of the uptakes of some of the discussions we've had at lunchtime has been it's so difficult to convince people that what is capable is actually capable so, you know, there's satellites, you know, doing radar. Like, whoa, really? really? And you're like, well, we're at that point, are we? The whole idea that outside academia and outside of the, the, the geospatial or EO or remote sensing world are going to go and do, can invest a lot of time in learning about this, I, I think is a, is a misconception across our industry. I've given a presentation recently about the, the awesome Earth Observation Code. And one of the things I draw on is, is people tweeting out questions saying, where is a list of all of the commercially available satellite sensors? And this is coming from people who have been in the industry for decades. I don't feel anyway we have these definitive lists. How does anyone know what the quality associated with various training is? I sort of see that there's now so many different places you're being pointed to, different blog posts and what have you, um, just through Twitter. But I mean, LinkedIn will be the same and all sorts of other places as well. And then there's all the official training resources. Does it not run the risk of just overwhelming everybody? And, and yeah. by everybody, I mean like people within the... Um, the sector as well i'm well aware having seen some of the things that people are putting out over this this lockdown period that there's a lot of stuff that i need to sort of skill up on but i'm again even as someone who is within the sector i don't have a lot of time so i need to know which ones are going to be worth my while of going to mm. and it's really tricky so i don't know if you guys have any tricks about how to see sort of what's the best quality when i've taught python at a beginner level I've, I've always sort of tried to think of this pyramid and try and get the the, the, the basics the the fundamentals in there before you start running up the top of the hill to get to the the bit that everyone gets excited about which is often the easiest bit to do you know to to, to do a classifier in in, in scikit learn for example there's two or three lines of code so if you don't know what a list is and a data type is and how a loop works and all these other different things and where to get help, then up here is pointless. You've got, you've got to get these foundations built. And this is, this is the dry stuff that is hard to, to consume. I don't know of defined systems. I temper that by saying I always try and do things like EO College when that came out, the SAR course and the... I think there's a Copernicus one going on at the moment, one of these MOOCs. Yeah, there's been a lot of MOOCs. Yeah, a lot of MOOCs. And, and we've done two now and ESA have done several and they get a lot of uptake. You know, a lot of people take part and that's quite cool, but they're not in-depth training. If you need a good big picture of what's going on, that's great. 
but I think you know the in-depth stuff and this is I think where the real challenge is like you're saying is, is the hands-on aspects of training like how do you actually get somebody from recognizing oh yeah there might be something satellite data can do for me to actually doing that thing with some data of their own it's quite a long step and I remember like when I was doing my PhD you know and this was the first time I was working really very hands-on with uh, you know satellite data at quite a high level like I went to a few trainings and they were all quite introductory and I was like now what you know, where do I go now? Like yeah. it ends up being very one-on-one and we run training at UMetsat for Sentinel-3 and we've always tried to tap into different levels here, but with our courses that we run, they're very um, like participant led. So the idea is, you know, you kind of come with your application, your question, and we will help you to find the data and the tools that you need for that. Yeah. You know, it means you, you only train maybe 15 to 20 people in one of those courses instead of the 2000 you'd work with in a MOOC. But I think, given the diversity of earth observation data, there's still really a place for that. And I'd like to see maybe more of that integrated into sort of university programs across continent, the world, ideally, because I think that's, I don't know if we, if we really formally teach remote sensing that well. That's an excellent point. I've often asked how many, how many universities are actually teaching remote sensing? Yeah. And I never it, did a formal course in it. Right. So, okay. And yeah. you've got a PhD in it and you yeah. know, you're, you're teaching people. So. so a lot of people come from a background that I, like I do, you know, having a PhD and being more academic, although admittedly my PhD was still very practical and quite technical as opposed to being, you know, sort of more academic research yeah. focused. But one of the interesting things in the group I was in there was that not, not everybody had that background. There were quite a few people who came from computer sciences in particular it tends to be the technical skill, I think, that gets you into if you if you're not going through the academic route, it tends to be the technical skill that gets you in early. And I think that's the same uh, you met. You know, there's actually not that many people there. I don't think that have PhDs, um, you know, some of them in the remote sensing and products group and some people in, you know, in my team do. But I think a lot of people tend to come from a more technical skill background. And then it's it's kind of easy to make the jump because the technical skill is really, I think, so essential now. Yeah. Um, you know, it took me really until through my PhD to actually be kind of competent enough working with large data volumes to kind of move into the field you know I, I had an oceanography background before that I'd done a bit of programming during my master's but it was th- the PhD was basically three years of experience kind of on the job but it was on the job learning which I think is what happens for most people. Does the type of learning resource make a difference to the effectiveness that it has in terms of transmitting information so I find a lot of the videos that get put up really hard to follow I, I don't want to sort of um do a massive hurrah for UMetsat but I think that there was I think it was UMetsat that put out a video that was about visualizing net cdf and it was an American guy with short hair it was Daniel that yeah, is amazing. I, I could watch He's that brilliant. so many times and I, I, I couldn't tell you what that. it is <laughs> about him and the way he teaches that that makes me want to watch it but there is something where I I actually am waiting for the next line of code to go like, oh, what's it going to be? And I can't work out what it, what he's got in that video that makes it so compelling. And similarly, sometimes there'll be a blog, like it's quite often Andrew will have a blog of the month um, that he posts in the uh, podcast. And some of them are just amazing. You'll be scrolling through them and you'll have to stop and you look at the code. You Okay, well, what's mm. the next step? And you go down to the, the next thing. I don't know whether the two of you have a, a feel for what makes one more successful than another. I think for me, it's got to be, it's got to come across as really practical. I think, and that's, you know, it's something we do with our training at UMetsat in general is we, we always steer away from kind of 
this lecturing approach. Mm -hmm. you know, we don't just stand there and tell people how to do things. We show them how to do things. We work with them to do things. And I think that helps at least for me, like I appreciate that kind of thing because I want to see like, usually I'm looking for an answer to a problem. You know, I know I need to know how to do a thing. Like I don't need yeah. you to tell me about doing a thing. <laughs> yes. I want you to physically show me how to do this thing. You know, and I think with, with the video you're talking about with, with Daniel's one, there is a really good example. And it, I think it's one of the most popular ones we've had on YouTube. You know, we did a series of them where we've been doing lots of them. And I think, you know, the editing is great, but the very practical step-by-step -step aspect of that video is is excellent. And it is, it's a generic kind of skill is knowing how to open an CDF file in Python that appeals to such a broad audience. Uh, you know, knowledge is great, but I can go and read a book. I can Google, you know, I, I don't necessarily need somebody to tell me that in person. I, I guess one, one of the things related to that as well is that there's a bit in there where, so it doesn't go wrong because it's obviously scripted to have gone wrong, but they, whoever's, if it was Daniel who put together the whole idea for the video, he's thought through well, okay, someone will do this and then they'll get to this point where the Latin longs are wrong. And so what do they do? They're stuck. So he's sort of put into the video, oh no, the Latin longs are in the wrong place. <laughs> and yeah. then shows you how to get out of that hole that you've just got yourself mm. into. And I, maybe it's that. It's the uh, it's the fact that it's thinking to what the user's going to do and how they're going to mess up and how you can get out of being messed up. So. And that's something that I think for people who are doing training, whether, you know, it's in classroom or doing videos or, you know, writing notebooks like Jupyter Notebooks, for example, are a, a really good way of communicating things. It is about putting yourself in that perspective of if I'm learning to do this, like what is the what is the journey that I'm going on here? What is this narrative like? Where are the pitfalls? Where are yeah. the questions going to come up? And, um, you know, a lot of us who've worked in remote sensing for a while, we have we have the experience, you know, we, we know that because we usually had to figure it out ourselves. Like I remember this uh, for teaching Python. I mean, I, I went to a Python course like my first day of my PhD and it was utterly terrifying. And I basically didn't touch Python again for another two years. <laughs> it was horrendous. I was so like just completely overwhelmed by it. I was like, I don't even know where to start. Like I had, you know, I was MATLAB like graphical user interface dependent at that point. So like, I don't even know what command line was. So they lost me within the first 15 minutes. Now I have to regularly teach people who've never used Python before. And like all that experience of, you know, that course being completely overwhelming really made me realize how to help people understand. I'm probably going to earn most of my money this year from training. I've got a controversial opinion, which is I think all training is totally broken. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's, it's probably because we've all been educated in the factory environment that we go in in, in a year group and we're all taught in the same process. We all go through, no matter all, all different abilities, but you just move along because that's your age group. And we're sort of used to this sort of factory type training. And even as you guys have been talking, I can hear that you both learn in different ways. There'll be some people who are really visual learners that really want to watch an instructive video. There'll be some people, I, I always feel I'm more audio. So I, I always want, I, I quite like hearing things on the radio and that sort of sticks in my mind. But I need to see things written down often. Right. Uh, and that's yeah. the other and one. I need to write myself as well, you know, to learn it. Yeah. And the, one of the best ways to learn, as, as you've definitely pointed out there, Hayley, is to teach. If you're struggling to comprehend something and then you try and teach it, you're, you're going you're gonna to be so yeah. obvious out of your depth within, you know, seconds. So, that, so mm. that there is a learning process there, but 
it's so difficult to produce a training course where everybody is is sated you know you get people coming in from different directions i try and do courses where i take people you know to the point where they can read and write spatial data and say look go away for two years just get used to breaking this stuff and then mm. come back and i'll teach you how to how to have to go on because you'll be frustrated at this level have to learn to make mistakes and feel that that is a learning process rather than making mistakes and feeling like you're a complete prat. Yeah. The other thing I find really hard is I can't learn the things I want to learn necessarily without having to learn a whole load of other stuff that I don't want to learn. So going back about five years, back when um, cloud computing was sort of the thing, I, I wanted, I had very specific problems about handling earth observation data on Amazon and I knew how to use Amazon generally. I could fire up stuff and, and get things working and everything else. I had a number of specific problems and it was really hard to try and convince anyone I need some training in these specific problems. I don't need training in how to spin up an EC2 instance, can do that. I don't need yeah. training on how to load stuff into S3, can do that, but I need yeah. the next step. And they yeah. were like, well, no, you'll have to do our intermediate course. But to do that, you've got to do the, the beginner course first. And it's like, well, I'm not paying you money for stuff I know. I'll pay you extra money to teach me the stuff I don't know. But conversely, yeah. I've had people on courses that, that want, want, want all the time. It's not a linear journey. It's not like you turn up on day one and at the end of day, whatever, you've learned it. And I'm sure this is the case with your courses, Hayley. It's not like you, you turn up and you do the course and you're you know an expert. You, you need to sort of... I don't know, tra training is, should be sort of such a much bigger investment for companies to, to mm. really see it through. I think, to be very honest, this is why a lot of people do PhDs in this field. It is a way of effectively spending three years of learning about yeah. it, having an interesting project idea, bouncing ideas off my supervisor, you know, attending some lectures where I could, mostly breaking a lot of things and sharing a lot of, you know, experience and stuff with my colleagues. And that kind of process is a little bit what we're mirroring in our training courses. So when we do them, you know, we have an online phase, which is all, um, you know, it's, it's all online. It's reading background material. You can watch videos. You can do ask questions on forums. And then in the classroom, we basically do like no formal like agenda at all. But we spend like the first day maybe checking that people have actually got their computer systems set up <laughs> with some of the introductory materials we've got because, yeah. Yeah, trying to install Python on like eight different versions of Windows with an Arabic keyboard. That was, you know, one of the highlights of my life. It was crazy. <laughs> but we, we do that on the first. And then after that, it's all these kind of self-determined mini projects. So we say to everybody, you know, given what you know now about the data that's available, what sort of thing would you like to do? And then we review with them. OK, yeah, that's great. You can do that with this product. Uh, you'll, you'll maybe need to think about downloading that data instead or you know, if you want to set up somebody, you know, somebody maybe wants to set up a routine download, like that's okay, that's cool, we can look at doing that. And then they spend three days working in the classroom with their colleagues on the course and with us to try and work through all these, you know, these things that they've aimed at. And then we see where they've got to by the end of the week. I think it pays dividends. I have this thing on the first day of a beginner course, I always say, this is how you get help in Python. You type the help. And I say, who are you kidding? You're never going to type this, right? <laughs> what you're going to do is you're going to go to Google, Google. go to Stack Overflow. Go Overflow. Question. So let's go to Stack Overflow and, and look at the stuff that gets asked. The skill you need isn't help at Python. It's the skill that you can then look at the, the code on Stack Overflow and try and work out, is that going to solve the problem that I've, I've exactly, got? Exactly, yeah. I and, say very similar thing on the first day of our courses as well. I'm like, 
and I try to say this when this is when people ask like why are you using Python? I'm like, because I literally never have to write my own Stack Overflow post. I just search other people's <laughs> and then it's fine, you know, it's it's like having the best helper just inside your computer. <laughs> and then like you just copy that in and then you you pass your data and you're like, Yep, that's that's fine. And like, oh okay. Uh, but there is great documentation and it drives me bonkers when people say, just read the manual. Like, you don't do that. Yeah. You don't do that. So don't expect the people that are learning to do that as well. music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.